I'd like to ask the rest of you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And if you don't have a study guide and would like one as I preach this morning, would you raise your hand and we'll have a couple of folks put one in your hands for you. Thank you. Just hold them up till you get one in your hand there. I'll wait a moment while we get the children's church folk out and get things kind of settled down here a little bit. Hold your hand up. Keep it up if you want one of the study guides. Ron, a few over here on this side. For those of you that are uh, just joining this series this morning, we're actually in Roman numeral 2 today in the study guide that you're being handed, but we're not going to get there right away. I've got a few things to say first, so if you'll just kind of keep that in mind, that when we get into the message, we'll be at Roman numeral 2, a biblical context and worldview for intercessory prayer. That sounds like an exciting topic, doesn't it? As I read it out loud, it's like, whose thesis is that? Anyway, Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, beginning reading in verse 1. If, therefore, there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... Also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you'll turn over a few pages more toward the back to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5. For he did not subject angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that thou rememberest him, or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Thou hast made him a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. 
Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word this morning and consider these majestic passages concerning both the suffering and the exaltation and glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Eternal Son. I pray this morning, Father, that you would give us insight. Enable us by your grace and by your Spirit to grasp this morning the unseen things, even as Carrie prayed a moment ago. To lay hold of that which is beyond the visible by faith to comprehend the incomprehensible. To see with the eyes of the Spirit that which is not apparent to the eyes of the flesh. Lord, give us understanding this morning of the nature of your kingdom, the kingdom to which we belong its future, and its glory. To understand your work in the world around us and the good news that the kingdom of God has come. And I pray, Father, that as you give us understanding, we would come to a new appreciation and a new urgency and a new commitment to the ministry of intercessory prayer. Because it is through prayer that your kingdom is built and established. One day we will see him, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, crowned with glory, sitting upon the throne, reigning over the universe and this world, and we will be united with him in that kingdom. God, give us eyes to see it today and to know that it's just as sure as you, O God, are eternal. You cannot lie. You have all power. You will bring it to pass. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory his majesty, his kingship. Amen. Have you ever wanted to pet a lion? How many want to, have ever wanted to pet a lion? 
Can I see your? Okay. I'm not that weird. There's, there's some more like me around here. Have you ever wanted to hold the birds in your hand? And, uh, you know, frolic with the, with the wild animals and not worry about being harmed? Have you ever wanted to walk down the streets of the city in the middle of the night and have absolutely no fear? And not be worried about being mugged or worse? Have you ever been in the midst of mass pandemonium, either in your house or your office or somewhere else, and wish that there were never another crossword spoken, never another argument, never another raising of the voice in anger? Have you ever wished for days of absolute perfect peace with no fear, no contest, no nothing to disturb the quiet of the spirit, to just linger long and enjoy the beauty and the glory of all the world around you. Have you ever had such a sublime moment of intimacy with God that you wish it would never end. And you never, in the words of that older song, had to come down from the mountaintop. But you could just walk with God forever in unbroken fellowship in the most rapturous experience you can imagine. Just think for a moment what a world like that would be like. With no strife, with no animosity, with no hurt feelings, with no sickness, with no pain or discomfort, with no funerals, where even the animals were happily submitted as pets to all the people around them. And even in the animal kingdom, there was no longer any prey and predator, but all grazing upon the green of the earth, there was peace and harmony throughout the world. You know, the Bible says that God made a world like that, and the Bible says that a world like that is coming again. That when God makes everything new and restores the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, upon His throne, that that is the way the kingdom is going to be realized. Isaiah paints a picture of that glorious millennial reign of Christ by saying that the wolf, and the lamb will lie down together by speaking of children playing at the mouth, the, the opening of the serpent's den without fear of being bitten. A world without crime. A world 
without fear, ultimately yielding to a new heaven and a new earth that will only be populated by the redeemed of the Lord, that will know no death, no sickness, no sorrow, no pain, that will be uh, in, a, in an environment of beauty and glory and splendor that will have no limitations, where sin will no longer be present, so there will be perfect harmony among us. There will never be any innuendo. There will never be any uh, anger or frustration. There will never be any failed goals or disappointment where we will have perfect joy and fulfillment in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You may ask yourself, what happened? If that's what God has in mind, how did we get where we are? And I just want to take you back by way of reminder to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment. The scripture passage that we looked at last week where toward the end of that chapter, God said to Adam and Eve after the creation in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, and rule over the birds of the sky, and rule over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit-yielding seed, That will be food for you and every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life. I've given the green plants for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I want to call your attention to verse 28 in the midst of that glorious description where he says to Adam and to Eve, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that creeps upon the face of the planet. I want to tell you a story this morning that encompasses all of Scripture. It it, it comes from all over Scripture and encapsulates for us, I think, an understanding of the necessity and importance of intercessory prayer. You know, when Jesus showed up on this earth in his public ministry, I'm going to go back in a moment to his conception and birth, but when he showed up on this earth in his public ministry and began to preach, it's interesting how he began his public ministry. He said, the kingdom of God is right at hand. In other words, the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is right here beginning. And when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the grave and told his disciples to wait in that upper room until they had been endued (laughs) with power from on high, the Holy Spirit of God coming upon them and empowering them, he had said to them, 
this very week that we're celebrating on that last night that he was with them, he said, the things that I have done, you will do. The miracles that I have performed, you will perform. The authority that I have had, you will have. I will give you my spirit. I will not leave you alone without comfort. I will give you my spirit. And he will work in you to accomplish all the things that I have done. Therefore, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you that the Father will be glorified and that your joy can be full. And the proclamation of the message was, the kingdom of God has come. And when Jesus stood up in his native hometown of Nazareth and opened the scriptures to read the scriptures, he opened to the book of Isaiah and he read words like these, The lame are healed, the blind receive their sight, those who are in bondage are delivered, the captives are set free. And then he closed the scroll of Isaiah and said to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The kingdom of God has come. It's very fascinating that during his ministry, at one point in time, a Roman soldier came to Jesus. Not not a Jew, but a Gentile Roman soldier came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, my servant, is sick in in another town. And I want you to heal him. And Jesus said, all right, we'll come. And the Roman soldier said this, you don't need to come. I, too, am a man in authority. And when I say to this one, come, he comes And when I say to that one, go, he goes. He said, I understand authority. And I recognize that you are a man of authority. All you have to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus turned to the Jews around him and said with amazement, I have not seen this kind of faith even among the believing of Israel. And he turned to the Roman centurion and he said, Go, your servant is healed, as you have seen. And as he returned home, they ascertained that that very hour, his servant had been touched and healed. There's a significant event happening there as this soldier comes to Jesus and says, I also am a man in authority, and I recognize your authority to speak the word, and disease must yield to your authority. And I believe that if you speak the word in that heavenly realm where you have power, that my servant will be healed. It was an amazing insight by a Roman centurion. And so throughout the Bible, we have the story of a kingdom lost. And then a kingdom slowly but surely recovered. And in Genesis chapter 1, we find that God had given to Adam and Eve 
the authority to rule the planet. And if you read those chapters closely, you find that it was a very, very different planet than it is today. You find that all the birds and all the, the fish and all the creeping things upon the earth, all the animals were vegetarian. You find that there was no survival of the fittest, no rushes of adrenaline, no fear of prey and predator. You find that Adam and Eve had authority, that they had command of the fish and of the birds and of the creeping things upon the planet, that they had authority over the garden, that they had the the power to exercise dominion, that they had been placed as stewards in charge of a planet that was designed for them by an all-wise God who, after He had made everything good and perfect and beautiful, invested it into their care and said, this is yours. I've made this for you. Have dominion over it. Exercise authority. Bring it under your rule. Give the the animals names. Bring order to this world that I have given you. Cultivate this garden and fill the earth with your kind. I will be in you and I will be with you and I will walk with you And I will work through you every day of your life. There are certain spiritual principles that the Bible presents to us that become spiritual principles because of the nature of God. There are certain Rules that he gives. There are spiritual rules just like there are physical laws and rules. Gravity is one of those physical rules. No one has ever beaten it. You can talk about flying. You can talk about spaceships. You can talk about whatever. But if they run out of fuel, they come down. And if they go up there in orbit... They either stay there and never come down, or they re-enter and fall down, controlled or uncontrolled, they come down. There is a law of gravity that operates because God has established that as one of the physical principles of the world. There are also spiritual laws that he has put in place, and they are laws which he himself honors. Some people try to postulate impossible kinds of logical conundrums that um, they say proves the limitations of God. It doesn't do any such thing. It just proves the foolishness of man. You perhaps have heard the philosophical question, can God make a rock bigger than he can lift? That's an exercise in stupidity more than anything else. But there are some things that God, because He is who He is, cannot be. In fact, He cannot be ever other than Himself. He cannot ever be different from who He is. God, for example, can never lie. 
He will never lie to achieve a good end. He will never bait and switch. He will never lie when he interrogates the guilty to trap them in their own sinfulness. God always speaks the truth. It is not possible for God to tell a lie. It is not possible for God to be unholy or unrighteous. He is a holy God. He cannot sin. It is not possible for God to sin. That is His nature. But another part of the nature of God is that He is a covenant-keeping God who keeps His Word and keeps His promises. And one of the things we find by implication in the book of Genesis is that God made this planet for human beings, and in so doing, He gave to our first parents, Adam and Eve, authority. He said, this is your world. You are to have dominion over it. You are to exercise control. You are to rule this planet. I will live in you, and I will live with you, and I will guide you every step of the way, but this is your planet. I made it for you. And so, on that fateful day, when they were strolling through the garden near the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were tempted... And they both contemplated, although we're told of the interaction of the serpent, Satan, who had disguised himself, interacting with the woman. We know that they were both there because she handed him the fruit. (laughs) And it says her husband who was with her, she handed him the fruit. They were in this temptation moment. And Satan tricked them into believing that God was withholding from them. By the by, that's how he tricks all of us. He wants us to believe that God is withholding from us. That he's holding out on us somehow. That he had tricked them into believing that God was holding out on them And he said, God does not want you to realize that in the day you eat of this tree, you will become like him. That's the second step in our own demise as well, over and over again, to exercise autonomy and be God. I'm in charge of my own destiny. I'm the master of my own ship. I do as I please. That's right out of the mouth of Satan. And so the scripture says they looked at that tree and they decided it was good for food and it was delightful to the eyes and it was desirable to make one wise and they ate of it. And when they did, little did they understand the transaction that occurred. They took themselves out from under God's authority by rebelling against Him. Unwittingly coming under Satan's authority. No longer were they the containers of God, the Holy Spirit, ushering His presence into this planet. But instead, their spirit died inside of them to God. The Holy Spirit vacated the temple 
and left them empty, and Satan filled their heart. And as a consequence of that, they sold out the title deed of planet Earth to the devil. Little did they anticipate what would happen in that major shift of power. Satan knew that this world belonged to the man. Speaking of the husband-wife team. Satan knew that this world belonged to Adam and Eve. He knew that the only way he could invade it and destroy this beautiful creation was if the man and the woman would rebel against God and give him invitation. Because, you see, they had the right. They had the authority. And when they did so, Satan was able to invade the planet and bring corruption. Their dominion was lost to Satan, whom the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, is the God of this world who has blinded the minds, the eyes of unbelievers. And in that transaction, this entire planet was corrupted. Disease began to run rampant. Genetic mutation began to occur. I'm not talking about the evolutionary kind. I'm talking about the destructive kind. Peace-loving animals that had been vegetarian became carnivores, devouring one another. The birds of the air changed their nature. The fish of the sea changed their nature. The entire planet was plunged into corruption and disaster. Ultimately, man's own heart became so black and ugly that by the time the world was only a thousand or so years old, God had had his stomach full of humankind and could not stand to look at them anymore because he said their thoughts are evil continuously from the start of day to the end of night and through the night. All they do is evil. And the Bible tells us that God had to wipe the planet clean except for one family, the family of Noah, and start over lest they ultimately destroy themselves. And even in that reconstruction, it was not very long before they were building this gigantic spiritual worshiping temple tower that would unite them all in evil. The sons of Noah. And so ultimately, again, God said, I'm going to have to confuse their language and drive them to the ends of the earth. They're never going to get it. And so again, He drove them away at the Tower of Babel. Because all along, Satan was attempting to destroy the human beings that God had made. To mar His image in their lives. To ultimately wreak havoc upon the planet so that it became a vicious, ugly, horrible, fearful, disastrous place filled with rape and murder and, and mayhem and rebellion and killing and mutilation, a world that was full of 
fear and disease and anger and tragedy and sadness. A world that was everything that God was not. A world that was everything the devil is. A world that was plunged into such darkness and and wickedness. That for long centuries at a time, it was as if there was no light shining. So much so that Isaiah describes the prophecy of the coming of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ as, Behold, the people have seen a light because we have lived in darkness for so long. But through it all, God has had a plan. A plan that began with Abraham. A plan that went through his children. A plan that carried down through Moses, through David, through the prophets. A plan that would usher in, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a new beginning. A plan that would bring the last Adam, the second man upon the earth. The man that would recover what was lost. I want you to see the thread of this, friends, because this is so important. When we see Jesus Christ invading this planet as the promise of God, our inclination is to see Him only As God come in flesh. Our tendency is to dwell upon His deity. And for several reasons, there is a danger in that truth out of balance. Now hear me clearly. I am not suggesting to you for the blink of an eye that Jesus was not fully divine. He was Holy divine. He was fully God. Paul in Philippians said he did not consider it robbery or inappropriate to be equal to God. He was God in every way. But when he came to this earth, he came not in the presentation of his deity, but in the presentation of perfect humanity. And that is significant because God had given the planet to men. And Jesus Christ was the man from glory that would recover the lost creation and restore the presence of God in human beings and rebuild a kingdom that was based on love and peace, and confidence, and the absence of fear. A kingdom that did not know disease, or sickness, or pain, or death. A kingdom that ultimately subdued all that had gone awry, and recovered the glory of God in the presence of men. And Jesus Christ came to do that as a man. It is the lie of Satan 
to get us to look at Jesus Christ as only God. Because when we see Him as only God, several things happen. First of all, we assume that He is so unlike us that we can never be like Him. And then we assume that because He is God, He did the things He did. As God, He did those things, and therefore, they can never be duplicated. And then we relegate Him out of our lives as some distant person whom we worship and revere, but whom we dare not ever imagine that we shall in any way be like Him. But Jesus Christ came as a man. He came as a man to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see in His conception the similarity in the creation of the first Adam, the first man. I want you to see what what happened. The Holy Spirit of God formed substance in the womb of Mary. How do I know that He did that? Because the Scripture says, through the angel, that which is in you, in Matthew, that which is in you is out of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God crafted an embryo in the womb of Mary, just as the Spirit of God gathered up the dust of the earth and fashioned a body for for the first Adam, So he crafted a body for the last Adam. And just as the Spirit of God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that first man became a living soul, so the Spirit of God breathed into the womb of Mary the Spirit of life, and that embryo came to life that was Jesus Christ the man, filled with Jesus Christ the man who is fully God. And when He was born of the Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mary, because He was without human father and without human mother, He was crafted of God and planted in the womb of Mary and born upon this world, the last Adam, the second man, filled with the Spirit of God from His mother's womb, Jesus walked upon this earth as a man under the control of the Spirit in total submission to the Father. And when He began His public ministry, these were His words. The kingdom of God is right at hand. What did He mean? He meant that which was lost in Adam is returning. I'm bringing the kingdom back. I, the man, Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God living in me, tabernacling in my body, dwelling in my midst, I, Jesus Christ, am bringing back the kingdom. And what did He do? He began to undo the works of the devil. He healed the sick. Where did sickness come from? It was the ravages of sin, but He healed the sick. He cast out demons. Where did they get into our lives? 
because we had sold out to the dark kingdom. But Jesus Christ came to cast out the demons and free the men and the women who were in bondage. He gave the lame the capacity to walk. He restored sight to the blind. He even raised the dead. The ultimate power of sin is death. And Jesus even raised the dead. But most importantly, greatest of all, Jesus went to the cross as a sinless man who died on that cross and shed sinless blood, yet divine blood, eternal blood, that we might be cleansed from our sin, that we might be made holy again, sanctified by the power of God, and that His Spirit might imagine, come and live in us again, restoring us to that condition of the first Adam, indwelled by the Spirit of God, in vital union with God, the tabernacle of God among men, His Spirit dwelling in our bodies. And here is the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, now I invest in you. I invest in you. The same Spirit that I have had in me. And I give you the authority of my name. Jesus, after the resurrection, the Bible says, was raised and seated at the right hand of the Father upon the throne of the universe. But the writer of Hebrews says, we do not yet see all things in subjection under His feet. We don't see this world a peaceful place. There's still crime in Chicago. There's crime in McHenry. We don't see the absence of fear. We don't see the world back in harmony and and beauty, and glory, and liberty, and joy. What's the matter? Jesus said, I give you authority. The man, Christ Jesus, restored to the rightful place of rulership in this world. I give you authority. My authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You go in my name. You speak in my name. You take the good news in My name. You go out into this world and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And I will be with you everywhere you go. Does that sound like walking with God in the cool of the day? I will go with you everywhere you go. I will empower you with My Spirit who lives inside of you. And you can announce the good news. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. You can be saved today. You can be restored to union with God today. You can be filled with His Spirit today. You can become alive in Christ today. And in the proclamation of that message, I give you the authority in My name to go and do the things that I've done. Heal the sick. Cast out the demons. Raise the dead. Restore sight to the blind. Preach the Gospel. The Kingdom of God has come. This is the work of the Kingdom. It's a restoration of what was lost. And as the Kingdom spreads, my friends, one person at a time around the globe, there will come a day when every tribe, 
and every tongue and every nation has heard the good news that the kingdom of God has come and some from every tribe and tongue and nation will respond and say yes to Lord Jesus. And when they say yes to Him, their new head, then the kingdom of God will truly come and we will see everything subjected to Him as He appears, our man in glory, as King of kings and Lord of lords, returning to this earth in power and authority. The title of the message is, Why Pray? I want to set the stage this morning for what I will complete next week. The reason that we are to pray is because in our restoration through the born-again infilling of the Holy Spirit as sons and daughters of God, we have been given the privilege of once again bringing God into this planet. Bringing His power to bear. Expressing the glory of His power and kingdom as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is intercessory prayer that accomplishes that goal. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, Jesus said. Why? Because the man, Christ Jesus, died on the cross and was raised again. The second man, the last Adam, has recovered what was lost. He has recovered authority in this earth. It's all mine. Go in my name. Go in my name. And as you go, I will be with you. Announce liberty to the captives. Tell them I've come to set them free. Proclaim salvation. Tell them I've come to forgive their sin and to cleanse them and fill them with My Spirit. Tell them I'm coming again. Tell them they can live forever in My presence in a new heaven and a new earth. Tell them the good news. But Lord, the world is filled with demons. The world is in the power of Satan. He's the God of this planet. People are in bondage to sin. They, they kill each other and murder each other and devour each other and hate each other. And they're full of anger and racial strife and tension and robbery and thievery. Lord, it's a horrible place. Go in My name and speak My authority. Go in the name of Jesus. Go proclaim the good news. Go tell them the King has come. They don't have to live in that darkness any longer. The light of God has shone. Go tell them the good news. Speak the authority of Jesus Christ in My name. Bind the demons. Cast out the wicked ones. The evil spirits. Go in My name. Heal the sick. Show them My power. Go in My name and proclaim the good news. Demonstrate the kingdom. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 said, I did not come to you in persuasive words of man's wisdom. Neither did I profess to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
And when I came to you, I came in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not rest in the logical wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Friends, I want to tell you that God wants us to be involved every single day in power encounters. He wants us to go out in the matchless name of Jesus and in prayer to recapture for the King of Kings the land and the territory that Satan has held. He wants us to go in His authoritative name and proclaim the good news. There will be battles. There will be hardship. There will be those who give their lives as martyrs in this great cause. There will be challenging times. The enemy will come against us with all of his power. Once we wake up to this reality, there will be a battle, but there is victory. And in the end, you read the book in Revelation, in the end, Jesus wins. And we with him. We are invited. We are invited to join the King of Kings and to recover what has been lost. And the weapon of our warfare is intercessory prayer. I speak in the name of Jesus. I go in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I preach the good news. In the name of Jesus, I announce the kingdom. My glorious Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords, enthroned in the heavens. All authority has been given to Him. I go in His name. And in His name, I can recover with Him that which has been lost and restore the kingdom. Oh, my friends, I tell you this morning, the reason we should pray is because it is the weapon of our warfare in winning the lost in setting the captives free in ushering in the Spirit of God in binding the dark powers in winning the battle it is the weapon of our warfare and we win we win in the end I want to encourage you I want to encourage you we pray because we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And prayer is the weapon of our warfare. We don't take up arms. We don't bear swords and guns and knives. Jesus said to his disciples, put that thing away. My kingdom is not of this world. I don't want to be a political entity. I'm the king of kings. I want to recover what was lost and restore the glory of God upon the world. One day, I'm going to get to pet the lions. If I can hang on, I'm going to ride a cheetah. I'm going to have the birds landing all over me, just the birds. Some of you are awake. Uh, one, 
One day. Yeah, what a, one day. One day. One day. But between now and then, there's a war to be fought. There are battles to be won. There's a kingdom to recover. And my Lord Jesus leads and triumph those who follow him by faith. It's going to be messy. It's going to get ugly at times. We're slogging into the cesspool of sin to rescue the perishing. And sometimes we get dirty ourselves. But by the grace of God, we win the victory. And intercessory prayer is the weapon of our warfare. Let's pray together. Father, open our eyes to understand what this is all about. Help us to see beyond our meager selves, our, our tiny little world that revolves around our house and our family. Lift our eyes to see the harvest. Enable us to see a world that lies in the throes of darkness and the power of the evil one, but a world that you have invaded. And now we are your landing parties. We are your invasive force, bringing the message, good news, the king and the kingdom has come. Oh God, open our eyes to see the grand theme, the battle of the ages, and understand our role, that we are put here in this moment to be warriors who wage the weapon of prayer and win the victory, claiming men and women, plucking them from the burning, snatching them from the darkness, bringing them to our Lord Jesus Christ for cleansing and healing and restoration and infilling and empowering of your Spirit, that they too might become warriors for the King of Kings. Lord, prayer is not something we meekly, weakly gather to do, mumbling to ourselves in a little circle on Wednesday night. It's the weapon of our warfare. It is the privilege of communion with Almighty God. It is the means of victory to win the lost and bring back the King. Open our eyes, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.